Frank Gotch is retiring. Or is he? Hackenschmidt wants a rematch. Or does he? Tom Jenkins is making a comeback. Or will he? The world of wrestling is in chaos, and we wouldn't have it any other way. It's the story of Tom Jenkins, part 10. Crazy territory stories, double crosses and swerves. Pro wrestling history nerds. You did it. You're here. I mean, you're there. You're somewhere. So take off your shoes. Get comfortable. Put on your shoes or get uncomfortable. I'm not going to tell you how to live your life. The important thing is we're together and we're talking about the history of pro wrestling. Who am I? What's even happening? My name is Nick Gossert. I am a pro wrestling promoter. I am a pro wrestling booker. But more importantly for today, I am a pro wrestling historian. And we are back to the story of Tom Jenkins, part 10. If this is your first time checking this show out, this might not be the best place to start unless you are at least passingly familiar with the world of professional wrestling in the early 1900s, in which case, jump right in. Revisit stories you might know, learn ones that you might not have even heard of. Otherwise, maybe go back, start at part one, or check out other episodes and build your way up to here in this deep dive of the life and career of Tom Jenkins. And why am I doing this? Because these days, when I jump into a story, I leave no stone unturned. I want to learn everything. I want to share everything. And also, I really didn't do a very good job on this era in those first few episodes of this show. I read a few books. I took those authors' views and research at face value. I presented incomplete pictures with conclusions I don't necessarily agree with anymore. I'm not casting shade upon those researchers, upon those authors, upon those historians. They were doing the best they could in the pre-internet era, where your sole window into this time was to go to your local library, break out the microfiche, scan, 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 and hope you find everything. And in this era... Things in the newspapers weren't always right. You would have to go to like 10 different sources and figure out the best version of the truth that you can because sometimes people didn't understand wrestling or didn't care about wrestling or they had to leave the show early or they're taking a second-hand account from it, sometimes a third and trying to rewrite a story that maybe wasn't right in the first place, a weird game of telephone. So yeah, you could have a lot of bad mistakes if you're only reading one or two articles about a certain match, about a certain setup, about a certain person. And I am blessed. I live in the year 2023 where I can hop on the internet. I can go to newspapers.com, the New York Times archives, things like that. I can search names. I can search matches. I can find everything that still exists that has been scanned online from coast to coast to border to border and put together a much more complete version of a story than was possible maybe 15 years ago. So lucky me, lucky you, lucky us. The other reason I wanted to go so deep into the life of Tom Jenkins is I didn't really find anybody else who had. And For a number of years, Tom Jenkins was the most important wrestler in the United States. He was the biggest star in the United States. He was the undisputed champion of the United States. But because his era was just swallowed up by Gotch and Hackenschmidt, well, he kind of became a background player 
in this period of history when I fully believe that his career was just as rich, just as deep, just as interesting as anybody out there. So I wanted to present a man in full, if you will. I wanted to present the big picture, the detailed picture, tell the story of Tom Jenkins with as much content, story, and context as can be provided. And hopefully I'm doing just that. And by the virtue that we are now in part 10, this is definitely reaching that stage. And if you remember from last time, and I hope you do, it's only been two weeks, we're now kind of sitting in the shadow of that first Frank Gotch versus George Hackenschmidt match, won by Gotch. Odds were kind of stacked against Hackenschmidt, both by his own medical problems with his knees going bad, and Gotch being a bit of a dirty wrestler, having a referee that was very biased and wouldn't call out Gotch for his fouls. But now Frank Gotch was the superstar of professional wrestling. He was a crossover celebrity athlete. He was where guys like Babe Ruth, guys like Ed Strangler Lewis, Muhammad Ali, he was on that level. He took wrestling, put it upon his shoulders, and dragged it to the front page of the sports section. He was that big. He was that important. But as you know from the last nine episodes, a lot of that was built upon the foundation of Tom Jenkins' work, and where was Tom Jenkins to enjoy all of this, you know, newfound light and fame and success that pro wrestlers enjoyed? Well, he was practically in retirement. He was coaching boxing and wrestling at West Point, being able to settle down, enjoy his kind of post-athletic peak years in life, not having to travel, earning a good paycheck, doing what he loved, but... There's no such thing as retirement in pro wrestling, as we see time and time again. People take long periods off, but they're always going to hear the call of the ring and most likely going to answer it, even if it's in a reduced capacity. And that's where we pick things up. We're starting with the Fargo Forum and Daily Republican on December 5th, 1908. Wrestler Jenkins, merely a relic. The re-entry of ex-American wrestling champion Tom Jenkins into national prominence in the mat game well shows to how low an ebb the mat game has sunk in this country. Far different from England and France, where wrestling is as active pursued as boxing is over here. Jenkins is at best a broken-down has-been. Any victories he scored against even moderately able big men must be discounted 40-50%, to 50% according to the character of the manager who runs the bout. He was a second raider, comparatively speaking, when he, quote, beat Frank Gotch several years ago in Madison Square Garden, New York, for Gotch could have tied old Tom into bow knots at that time if he so desired. Jenkins ought to retire to some dry goods or wet goods emporium where the work would be light and the hour is easy. If the old man keeps on wrestling, it won't be long before some young high school scholar will take him and throw him off the earth. Not the nicest way to put it, but again, everything in wrestling was about gotch, everything was contextualized about gotch, everything was gotch-related, and Tom Jenkins, yes, he was now an older man. He was... In truth, a has-been. Whether we imply cruelty to that statement or not, it definitely was meant by that article. But Jenkins, 
The problem with being a champion at some point and trying to come back as a part-timer in something that is either a legitimate sport or perceived as a legitimate sport is you are just going to be compared to your younger self. So it's not something like modern pro wrestling where the legend comes back for one or two matches and it's just an awesome experience for the fans. It's nostalgia. Now it's what does this guy think he's got to prove? What does this guy think he's doing? The game has moved on and left him behind. The name outran the man. So you have somebody like that who, if they're even staying mildly competitive by the virtue that they're no longer 30 years old and at the top of the world, well, by default, they are a bum. Whether a bum they are or not, it doesn't matter. And this is something pretty much anytime Jenkins comes up, it's going to be about his age, where he is in his career, how the game has passed him by. There is no kindness. Wrestling is very much no country for old men. In the Omaha Daily Bee on December 8th, 1908, this is a season of rejuvenation. Tom Jenkins got back in the ring a couple weeks ago, and a few days ago, Dan McLeod went to the mat again. Tom lost, and Dan won. These old men needn't think they can keep up with Farmer Burns and the other kids of the present. Farmer Burns, being the exception to the rule on being an older wrestler, was still competing, was still pulling his carny scams, was still hippodroming it up. He really had a rejuvenation in his national spotlight because of Frank Gotch. He was Gotch's trainer. He was Gotch's mentor. He was Gotch's partner in many schemes and plans that made both of them a lot of money. So he was brought back to prominence, brought back to the spotlight by his relationship with Gotch, a privilege not afforded to many. On December 11th, 1908, Fred Beal loses to Yusuf Mahmoud in two straight falls in Chicago, again leading to calls for Gotch to postpone his retirement to face the Bulgarian. Gotch at the time was in England on a vaudeville tour. So Gotch was making a lot of money. He was able to do the thing that every athlete loves, make a lot of money without putting your body on the line. He was a relatively young man. He was an athletic, handsome man. He was charming. So yes, he was able to do vaudeville tours. He was able to go out there and do the minimum amount of work for the maximum amount of pay. And that is every athlete's dream. So meanwhile, Beal lost to Yusuf Mahmoud. Mahmoud, you might remember from the uh, last episode when he squashed Jenkins flat. And Gotch, having beat Hackenschmidt, just kept mulling his retirement, claiming he was retiring, claiming there were no more mountains left to climb. But because Mahmoud was out there killing everyone, the foreign monster heel just running rampant through the American ranks, there was a call in the press for Gotch to put off retirement for just this one more match to save the reputation of American wrestlers, to stand in the way of Mahmoud's path of destruction. And here's a weird one, um, we'll talk about why on the back end, from Patterson, New Jersey, Morning Call, February 4th, 1909, Wrestling at League Hall, Emil Selva will meet Tom Jenkins in a finish match tonight. But the same paper, the next day, Emil Selva in hard luck. Tom Jenkins wanted more than total gross receipts and would not wrestle. Quote, Local wrestling fans assembled at League Hall last evening to witness the wrestling match between Emil Selva of this city and Tom Jenkins, the ex-heavyweight champion. They did not see the contest, but instead were handed a large, juicy lemon. 
According to the management, Jenkins was to have received a guarantee of $100 or 35% of the gross receipts. When he arrived at the hall, he demanded $150. Selva refused and demanded that he live up to his contract. Jenkins packed his things and headed back to the train station. He was followed and offered what he demanded, but refused to go back to the hall. There was nothing left to do but to give the spectators their money back. This was a weird find, because there was no lead-up, no announcements for the match, just the two articles from the same paper. So many possibilities. Was it a fake story trying to get attention for that wrestler and that promoter? Was Jenkins just having a bad day? Was the promoter screwing with him, maybe screwing him over? Maybe the deal wasn't what was being presented. We really have only one side of the story here. Again, we'll never know, but I'm fascinated because there was no other coverage of this. There was nothing from other papers. Doesn't mean that didn't exist. It just means I don't have access to them. They didn't survive. Who can say? But the thought that Jenkins, who seemed a very competitive man who knew how to do good business, would simply storm out in a huff after trying to hold a promoter hostage doesn't really match the character that I've been researching. I could be wrong. The heart of another is a dark forest, as Turgenev wrote. So who can say? Not me. Who knows? From the St. Louis Post-Dispatch on February 21st, 1909, no easy match for Mr. Gotch. Yusuf Mahmoud has not lost fall in five years and killed opponent. It was an announcement that Frank Gotch and Yusuf Mahmoud were to have a match on March 23rd, and to make Mahmoud sound extra menacing, the article claimed that Turkish wrestlers die in competition regularly and that, quote, Mahmoud has killed his man. That is, he did not kill his opponent outright, but the grappler was so badly hurt, he died in two hours from the effects of the contest. Which is very dramatic, very menacing. It makes this man look like that absolute killer. He looks like the bad guy in a movie like Bloodsport or Kickboxer, where you're just heaping villainy and menace upon a man. And Frank Gotch says, okay, I will postpone my retirement to deal with this man and send him packing back to wherever he comes from, defeated with his tail between his legs. Uh, did shift a little because the Iowa City Press Citizen on March 24th, 1909, reports that the gotch Mahmoud match will now be on April 14th. And how did it go? You're going to be shocked by this one, of course. Daily Times, April 15th, 1909, reports that Gotch keeps title, throws Turk twice. Mahmoud is no match for champion in Matt Vout. Wins first fall in eight minutes, second in nine minutes, 15 seconds. Fails to work toe hold. After entering the ring at 10.40 p.m., while the band played Hail, Hail the Conquering Hero, Gotch got two straight falls in less than 20 minutes. Was this a case of a dangerous Turkish wrestler finally being stopped by the American champion after leaving everyone else broken in his wake? Was this a long work to make it appear like that? Was it pro wrestling booking at its finest, with a monster heel running rampant through the top talent of the country, while the champion bulls retirement and the nation calling him for him to face the villain, and then running him over for the big pop? Well, I'm pretty sure we know the answer. Is it possible that Mahmoud just legitimately ran everybody over? 
Was it uh, surprising that he ran over a lot of people that knew how to do business when business was needed? Was Gotch such a dangerous, legitimate grappler that he put a punctuation exclamation point at the end of him stopping Mahmoud's unbeaten streak? Again, who can say, I have my suspicions, I have my opinions. And Gotch clearly now was at the top of the world. The Labor World on May 9th published a sing-song poem titled The Wrestlers. Not the Bulgarian giant or clever Beals, nor the man that invented detachable heels, nor could all the muscles of mighty hack place champion Gotch upon his back. The wrestling doctor from a western town and big Tom Jenkins of world renown and the Chicago gripmen that tooted much are all as children in the hands of Gotch. I really want that as an illustrated children's book. Just kind of feels right. The Marshalltown, Iowa Evening Times, Republic on May 26, 1909. Article signed for wrestling match between Jenkins and Gotch. We now have yet another Jenkins-Gotch match set for June 12th in Des Moines. Who was this for? Why was it booked? Well, obviously it was still a hot enough ticket for the box office and betting, but we're now seeing the guy past his prime against an old foe who is now at his peak. Notice how the venues are also shifting to Gotch's backyard instead of another trip to Cleveland. So many of Jenkins' championship matches, big matches, were, you come to my hometown, you come to my backyard, you have to play in front of my hometown crowd. But now, it's Gotch who is the, the big cheese, the top guy, he is the champion, so now you have to come to him, you have to go to his hometown and face him in front of his hometown fans. Soon enough, the Levensworth Post reported that the match was pushed back to the 14th for the sake of Gotch's condition, since he's suffering from nasal issues. Across the media, he was claiming that he suffered from nose problems for some time after being hit with a baseball. He needed time for surgery, but would have this match first. True, or just creating drama to make himself look more vulnerable, skew betting, make people think he might have cardio problems because he can't breathe through his nose, thus giving Jenkins more of a chance than he had. Who can say, but I kind of feel that that was the case. The Marshalltown, Iowa Evening Times Republican on June 2nd, Cupid throws Gotch, Iowa wrestler, downed by the smiles of a Chicago miss. Wedding set for autumn and champion will quit wrestling game. It announced the engagement of Frank Gotch and Miss Minnie L. Warner, a switchboard operator at the Majestic Theater. Quote, Gotch is reputed to be the wealthiest citizen of Humboldt, Iowa, where he holds vast interests in some of the richest farming land in central Iowa. Announced the match is now moving to Kansas City, which it was not. The Evansville, Indiana Press on June 2nd, Champion Gotch wants some easy cash. New photograph of the heavyweight catches catch can champion, who is to put one over on the gullible June 12th by indulging in a, quote, championship match with poor old worn out Tom Jenkins. Similarly in tone, the Omaha Daily News on June 5th. Gotch Jenkins again, murder. Frank Gotch, heavyweight champion, and Tom Jenkins, ex-champion catches catch-can wrestler, are to meet in Des Moines for the title. Help! Police! 
Fire. Someone in Des Moines ought to be pinched. The promoter of this farce must have a senatorial nerve in the hide of a hippo. The match will not attract attention in the world of sport. The fact that Jenkins claims to be in condition as the result of his work of teaching Uncle Sam's cadets how to do headspins won't do. The championship match is farcical on its face. It simply belittles Gotch, who, to get the money, is making an exhibition of himself. So yeah, this one is just widely being called out for being a bullshit match, whether it's legitimate or not. If it's a hippodrome, well, it's just Gotch pulling an obvious hippodrome. If it's a shoot, it's Gotch putting together a match that everyone knows he's going to win against an opponent everybody knows is going to lose. So yeah, it's something that really doesn't seem put together very well for betting. Maybe that's why he was telling stories of having a bad nose and trouble breathing to make Jenkins look like he's got a shot. But otherwise, the press was very down on this. I did find an advertisement in the Des Moines Register on the 12th. Monday evening, June 14th, Frank Gotch versus Tom Jenkins. Catch as catch can. Best two out of three falls to a finish. Jenkins has defeated Gotch twice. Can he do it again? Good preliminaries. Prices, 50 cents to $1. Arena floor, $2, $2.50, and $3. So again, even the promoter, even the advertising, is trying to skew towards Jenkins having a chance. It wasn't about Gotch being dominant. It was about Jenkins beating Gotch in the past and the possibility that he could pull it off one more time. And Jenkins had a little professional drama from the Muscatine Journal on the 12th. Jenkins' cause of row at army circles. Colonel West of the 2nd Cavalry refused to allow Tom Jenkins the courtesy of his post. The case would most likely go higher due to him being a direct appointee from the president. I assume a career military guy didn't like Jenkins getting privileges without having done actual military service. Jenkins later on would talk about the rules and structure of military life and being part of a military academy, took a lot of adjusting for him, and being a friend and appointee from the president himself, I'm sure rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, even though he was certainly the most qualified for the position. But back to the match. The Des Moines Tribune on June 14th, meet for final battle. Gotch and Jenkins will probably clash for the last time in their lives. Selling tickets on the concept of it never happening again, creating the illusion of scarcity, it's Marketing 101. And the match itself was covered by the Des Moines Register on the 15th. Gotch defeats Jenkins easily. First fall comes in 14 minutes, 28 seconds. Second fall in 7 minutes, 53 seconds. Reverse Nelson and crotch and half Nelson. Jenkins had no chance with a humble giant who toys with him. Gotch was quoted, The outcome was a great source of satisfaction to me. Jenkins has been a stumbling block in my way for some time, and there is now no doubt, I think, as to who is the master. Jenkins is a game fellow and made me work. I will rest for six months before going on the mat and may cut the game out altogether and go into business. From Jenkins, quote, I lost and have no excuse to offer. I have been suffering from an eternal trouble for some time that affects my wind. I lost and am willing to give Gotch the laurels that are his. From referee Dave Porteous, quote, 
the better man won. It was a clean, hard-fought go, in which Gotch again demonstrated that he is the world's master grappler. So the story is Gotch wiping away the Jenkins-shaped asterisk on his record, Jenkins has no excuse, except that excuse, and the referee is present to tell everyone it was a clean match. The Chicago Tribune listed the attendance at 7,000 fans. So it was a success across the board. Everyone achieved their goals. Gotch wiped out an old loss. Jenkins put him over as a superior athlete. The referee claimed it was clean. The promoter certainly made a lot of money. And I assume the beer and peanut salesmen did all right themselves. November 22nd, 1909. Jenkins was the special referee for the Con O'Kelly versus Pat Connolly wrestling match in New York City. How did it go? From the Hartford Current on the 23rd, Irish wrestlers stopped by police, disqualified by referee Jenkins. Match looked like a fight rather than wrestling. Both contenders used fighting tactics and nearly all wrestling rules were violated. The men were repeatedly warned by the referee and after his warnings went on and heated, whereupon he disqualified both. When they desired to resume, a police captain stepped in and stopped the bout. That was from the Wilkes Bar Time Leader, the Evening News. Quote, from the very start, the two began to rough it, and Conley proceeded in the first few minutes to gouge O'Kelly's eye. A short time later, the two came to blows. Connolly landed a heavy one that drew blood from O'Kelly's mouth, and the latter retaliated. After the police warned them, quote, this had little effect on the men, however, and they were at it hammer and tongs in the next instant. Both made vicious swings. Some landed, and others went wild. It was conceded to be the worst wrestling bout that has ever been held in the city, and the Irishmen, of whom there were many in the house, hissed from the beginning. The Sporting Life claimed that 2,000 people watched this shit show, my words, not theirs, obviously, including many women. So this is a spot that you start seeing guys get when they're, you know, no longer competing as much. They become the celebrity referee. And that was true of Evan the Strangler Lewis, William Muldoon. Um, later on, you've, you'll even find boxers starting to become wrestling referees. Tom Sharkey did it. We've talked about him before. So yeah, it's a good way to pick up a paycheck because you are a dignified expert who will do things cleanly because why wouldn't you? And he, of course, steps into what turns out to be just a violent disaster of a match. I'm sure he was thrilled, but was well paid. The Chicago Inter-Ocean on November 28th. Gotch will be busy. Jenkins may be among those to take a whirl at champion in New York. Gotch made a challenge to anyone to last 15 minutes with him while taking part of the Jeffries All-Star Combination at Madison Square Garden. Many surmised that Jenkins would show up to challenge him for the 1,000 forfeiture if he made it to the bell. So yes, Gotch, again, cashing in on his fame, joining Jeffries on a touring athletic combine. It's kind of like what Muldoon and Whistler did back in the day, like many did before and after where it's exhibition matches, it's showing off the science of the sport, it's athletes from many disciplines, just kind of giving demonstrations of what their sport, what their workout, what their physical culture is all about. 
but Gotch was doing the challenge matches, and there was a lot of speculation that somebody like Jenkins, and as you can see, Jenkins specifically, would show up to claim the prize because they could at least last the 15 minutes playing defense and would clean up from Gotch. But, spoiler alert, he wouldn't show up, he didn't win the prize, just speculation, just show business. Then what would Jenkins' next challenge be? Well, from the Detroit Evening Press on December 28, 1909, Jenkins vs. Abisko, former champ comes back out of retirement to meet Pole. Announcing that Stanislaw Zabisco would face off in Cleveland against Tom Jenkins on January 5th, 1910. Though the match would actually take place on the 6th, these things happen. Tom Jenkins is back in the big swim once more. The headline read in many papers, including the Buffalo commercial on January 6, 1910. It covers the city of Cleveland's love for Jenkins, how he's a hero to still many, though past his championship years. Quote, When Tom is old and feeble, the Clevelanders will still string with him. You've got to admire their devotion. Jenkins arrived via train from West Point, and Zabisco arrived shortly after him. The match happened on the 6th and was covered on the 7th by the Buffalo commercial. Jenkins heard in bout with Zabisco. Tom injured his ankle, trying to break away from the big pole. Zabisco the winner. One first fall in 18 minutes, and then flopped Jenkins for the deciding fall in 4 minutes. Tom shows up a little older in appearance, but he is still a great wrestler. Cleveland sports like Zabisco. During the first fall, Zabisco caught him with a toehold. Jenkins, quote, who tried desperately to free himself, but in doing so, he strained the tendons in his leg and should have retired from the match immediately, a physician said, but Tom wouldn't quit. And when the second fall started, quote, Zabisco was relentless. He tore right into Jenkins. The old warrior fought back with admirable courage, but the injured ankle was too big a handicap. Every paper pondered how Zabisco versus Gotch would play out. So once again, we have Jenkins being one of the obstacles for a foreign menace to get through to earn a shot at Gotch. The Apollo Creed in Rocky Four spot, minus the dying, of course. Instead, he got to heroically attempt to keep going with a badly hurt ankle, thus gaining in prestige and reputation despite losing two straight falls. And that's how you book them. And yes, I think w this was 100% a worked match. While I wouldn't be shocked if Zabisco versus Gotch was a shoot, I assume the deal was, you beat these guys to build it up, so this means something when we actually wrestle. And speaking of weird medical excuse matches to keep everyone intact, on February 16th, Stanislaw Zabisco had a handicap match against Yusuf Mahmoud, where the Turk was expected to throw Zabisco twice in an hour or forfeit $1,000 and a $500 side bet. The Journal and Tribune described it the following day with, quote, Bout was rough from the start. Turk suffers from boils. It was claimed that Mahmoud was wrestling with one arm to being completely useless due to three, quote, full-grown boils. First thought, ew. Second thought, these could have been, and most likely were, staph infections. In the days before antibiotics, 
not only was this physically unpleasant on a visual level, it was also potentially life-threatening and contagious with skin-to-skin -skin contact. Third thought, ew. So yes, we have a guy coming in and wrestling with a debilitating skin infection. This is why you wash mats in judo, jiu-jitsu, wrestling, whatever type of grappling. You clean your mats at the end of every session so you don't get things like this. A staph infection is no joke. It can cause necrotic tissue problems. It can really, it can kill you. I mean, it can legitimately kill you if it spreads. So the fact that people were just walking around with these, had no cure for them, probably were just rubbing dirt and alcohol on it, probably tried carrying it with a slug of Duffy's Malt Whiskey. It's medicinal and endorsed by Tom Jenkins. The St. Louis Star and Times on April 9th, 1910, reported that Charles Barber, an artilleryman and student of Tom Jenkins, won $25 by outlasting middleweight champion Walter Willoughby in a 15-minute challenge match at the Gaiety Theater. Another sign of when you're Getting a little bit past your prime is when your students are grabbing the spotlight instead of you. But it's not like he was in a wheelchair and sitting by a window, drooling on his shirt and staring out a window and awaiting death. He was still active. The Brooklyn Times Union on May 23rd, 1910. Tom Jenkins matched against Zabisco at Solzer's Harlem River Park on June 3rd. I found no mention of this again. I assume it fell apart in the lead up to Gotch versus Zabisco, which happened on June 1st. Again, we have Zabisco as the monster foreign menace that tears through all the American wrestlers until he gets to Gotch, who defeats the Polish wrestler in two straight falls. This one is one of my all-time favorites in the history of wrestling because the first fall was in only six seconds. How is that possible? According to the Buffalo Times on June 2nd in Chicago, quote, After the men shook hands, Gotch stepped back a bit and then made a fierce flying tackle and, before the pole realized what was happening, his shoulders were pinned to the mat. This was probably the quickest fall ever decided in a championship bout. It was all over so quickly that Zabisco was dazed and both he and his manager, Jack Herman, protested to referee Dick Fleming, but their protests were futile. The fall came so quickly that the spectators did not at first realize what had happened. So yes, we have one of my favorite dirty moves in all the history of wrestling, a thing that is technically legal, but is so frowned upon and unethical and unsportsmanlike that it is just the worst thing you can do. But he shook his hands, and as soon as the handshake was broken, shot under it, took Zabisco down, and pinned him in six seconds. Gotch then claimed he was retiring yet again. Quote, I won, and now I'm through with the wrestling game. I am 33 years old, and it will be the simple life for me in the future. A good many wrestlers waited too long and have been beaten. I'm going to try to avoid that. Quote from the Selena Journal on June 2nd. Was the Zabisco story a work? Well, what are the odds that yet another foreign wrestler would tear through everyone and Gotch would have to postpone his retirement to beat him legitimately? Is it possible? Absolutely. Is it likely? No. You may remember how Stanislaus didn't want to do worked matches and it ended up shooting on Wayne Munn many years later, but that really isn't the whole story. 
Zabisco came from the circus shows of 19th century Poland. He came to America to make money and seek fame. Like many of his generation, he wouldn't have problems working matches so long as he wasn't constantly being buried by men he could have twisted into a pretzel, like Munn. Gotch was somebody he probably saw as an equal and thus was willing to do business, especially if he gives up a fall due to a sneaky but legal move like a takedown off of a handshake. He preserves his image, padded his bank account, and left the door open for a rematch. For the next few months, everyone was talking about Gotch's retirement, the press often somehow reminiscing about Gotch being a clean wrestler who was quite the sportsmanlike idol of the wrestling scene, how he beat everyone and went out on top. And yes, I know. He still had plenty of matches in his career to go. Gotch would announce his retirement after a big match. The sports world would clamor for him to stick around. A new monster heel would run roughshod over the American wrestling scene, and it would be up to Gotch to come out of retirement and face him. Was this pattern a new publicity game for Gotch, or was he honestly wanting to retire due to boredom, and then something comes along interesting enough to keep him in the game? Both are manipulative tricks to drum up publicity and sell tickets, so either are plausible. Gotch also claimed that he was going to help James Jeffries get back in shape for his fight against Jack Johnson. While I found no reference to this happening, Gotch's mentor Martin Farmer Burns was instrumental in getting Jeffries, who needed to lose nearly 100 pounds, back into fighting shape for the fight of the century. If you don't know the story of Jack Johnson's versus James Jeffries, then let me quickly cover it because it's one of those amazing moments when boxing becomes pro wrestling through real life drama. Jack Johnson was one of the greatest boxers of all time, but was held back by the color line during the Jim Crow era. The best black boxers could never get title shots against white champions because white promoters didn't like the idea of a black champion in the ring beating white heroes. Jeffrey stated that the title was, quote, too prestigious for black fighters. Jeffries retired undefeated, but Johnson would hound whomever wore the belt next for a match until an Australian promoter offered champion Tommy Burns too much money to refuse a match against Johnson in Sydney. In front of 20,000 ticket buyers, Johnson worked over Burns for 14 rounds and then finished him off. The police forced the film crew to turn off their cameras to stop them from capturing the triumphant moment of a black man destroying a white man and becoming a champion. Johnson was even more brave in real life than he was in the ring. He wore nice clothes, drove flashy cars, had a white wife, was rich and famous, and didn't give a single fuck about how racist white America felt about him. Jim Jefferies was coaxed out of retirement to fight Johnson as the, quote, great white hope to defeat the black champion. The fight was promoted by Tex Rickard. Hear more about him in our wrestling in the 1920s Gold Dust Trio series that we did last year. And John Gleason. It took place in Reno, Nevada on the 4th of July, 1910, with nearly 20,000 people watching. Every possible weapon from guns to apples were banned from the arena and alcohol sales were immediately cut off to anyone who seemed drunk. They rightfully knew this was a powder keg. 
Jeffries was no match for Johnson, who floored the former champ twice before his manager ended the fight by throwing in the towel during the 15th round to keep Jeffries from being KO'd, and worse yet, being KO'd by a black man. The crowd was deflated, but across the nation this quickly turned to anger and resulted in race riots and racial terror attacks against people of color. The film of this fight was banned in many states, and yes, mostly in the South. What a ride, what a story, what a nightmarish view into racist America. But back to wrestling. The Buffalo News on November 10th, 1910, reported that Zabisco lost a handicap match when Mort Henderson, the future masked marvel, lasted 20 minutes with him. If you don't understand why I get excited by Mort Henderson sightings, then listen to the episode about the 1915 International Tournament. New York Tribune on November 16, 1910, discussing the upcoming match between Hackenschmidt and Plinkoff, quote, the powerful young Finnish champion wrestler in Buffalo. Tom Jenkins will be joining George Bothner as Plinkoff's cornerman. The match was less than spectacular, or as the Buffalo Inquirer put it on November 19th, quote, It might be said that the Finnish Tiger proved the biggest lemon that Hackenschmidt has met so far in America. Well, you can't win them all. The New York Times on November 22nd, 1910, announced a wrestling event on December 2nd, featuring a handicap match at Grand Central Palace, with Zabisco having to throw both Tom Jenkins and Andrew Kindrat, who was often referred to as the Lithuanian Giant, in one hour. Strangely, the paper claimed that Jenkins had never met Zabisco before, so at first I thought maybe it was Stanislaus's brother Vladek, which would explain that part of the story, but no, it was indeed Stanislaus. Vladek didn't come to the U.S. until 1913, so just bad journalism. Around this time, we also start seeing the press claiming that Gotch may come out of retirement for a second match against George Hackenschmidt. In early December, it was reported that Jack Curley, who was managing Hackenschmidt at the time, was potentially signing boxing champion Jack Johnson to join Hackenschmidt for a world tour, which does say a lot about Curley and Hackenschmidt and their opinions of race, or at least their willingness to put their opinions aside for the sake of making a bunch of money. But back to the handicap match. From the Washington Times on December 1st, announcing Charlie White as the referee, quote, on the theory that wrestling is one sport that is considered guilty until proven innocent. And that, quote, Jenkins, returning to the mat, even for a brief exhibition bout, looks like a bit of hippodrome was in sight. And the results were predictable. From the December 3rd, 1910 New York Times, Zabisco throws two grapplers. At the Joe Humphreys Carnival at the Grand Central Palace in New York City, Stanislaw Zabisco threw Tom Jenkins, quote, after a most grueling 15 minutes 40 seconds by half Nelson and Crotchhold. And then Lithuanian Greco-Roman wrestler Andre Kadat in just over 10 minutes. Zabisco agreed to throw Jenkins in 30 minutes or less, stranglehold or falling off mat not counting. Jenkins was very aggressive in a very competitive match. Was it a shoot or a work to build up Zabisco for a rematch against Gotch? 
who can say? I honestly wouldn't see either of those men being able to stave off Zabisco. Zabisco was in his athletic prime, was a much stronger man, was probably second only to Hackenschmidt for the big, strong Greco-Roman European-style wrestlers that came to America at the time. But again, for the sake of a show, for the sake of building up a menace, I'm sure business was done the way business is always done. The Buffalo Courier on the 3rd claimed that 5,000 fans watched the show. And how did the press treat Tom Jenkins for his efforts? For the next few weeks, numerous papers would print a sport chat rundown claiming that, quote, Tom Jenkins, the veteran wrestler, has also been elected to the Congress of Can't Comebacks. But the excitement for the wrestling world started to focus yet again, I found in the St. Louis Globe Democrat, December 30th, 1910. Russian Lion takes up Gotch's challenge. Jack Curley accepts the rematch on behalf of his client, George Hackenschmidt. So the match that elevated wrestling above and beyond, the match that turned Gotch into a crossover superstar, was now having a much-anticipated rematch. They were banking that this would make so much money. It would be such a big match. It would have been like the WrestleMania of 1911, and they were expecting everyone to make as much money as could possibly be made in wrestling at that time. It was going to take place in a baseball stadium, for fuck's sake. It was going to be tens of thousands of people buying tickets. Or so they hoped, so they thought, so they planned. We'll get to it later. In the meantime, on Thursday, February 9th, 1911, Hackenschmidt failed to throw Stanislaw Zabisco at Madison Square Gardens in a 90-minute handicap match. Hack needed to throw Zabisco twice, or Zabisco throwing Hack once. Neither achieved a single fall, though Hackenschmidt was by far the superior wrestler in the contest. According to the New York Times, 5,000 people, including Tom Jenkins, Joe Rogers, Ernst Rober, and boxing stars like Bat Nelson, Knockout Brown, and Jack O'Brien were on hand to watch it. Zabisco technically won by not getting thrown, and many agreed that Hackenschmidt was not the same man he once was. He was starting to fall apart. He was a man who had it, you know, put his body through a lot. He was a power lifter. He was a physical culture specialist. He was performing feats of strength for decades. And you know what that does to your joints, especially your knees that are carrying the full physical load of everything you do? Nothing good. I can guarantee you that. The Uniontown, Pennsylvania Morning Herald on February 14, 1911, announced that Fayette County will host a multi-night wrestling event. Tom Jenkins is set to face Paul Bowser and Charles Reinecke on February 17th and must throw them both in one hour. You might remember Paul Bowser from the Goldust Trio series. He was a solid wrestler, but excelled later on as a promoter in the Boston area and was the husband of women's wrestling champion Cora Livingston. But, sadly, for some, Mort Henderson, the future masked marvel, ended up taking Jenkins' spot and couldn't throw Bowser even once, let alone twice in an hour, as the new match required. Bowser was working a toehold when the bell rang. So you're starting to see a pattern. Jenkins taking matches, but the match is not actually happening. 
I assume this is because he couldn't get time off work. Remember, he was training the military officers of the future at West Point. He's not working the counter at Starbucks. He is not working retail where he can get somebody else to fill in for him. He has a government job that pays better than wrestling ever would. So yeah, he had his priorities, especially at his age. He was doing the right thing, even though he was kind of screwing over people by accepting bookings he might not have been able to get out for. Again, a lot of moving parts, but yeah, he was starting to be somebody you couldn't rely upon to actually be there if a match is announced. The Buffalo commercial on February 21st published Tom Jenkins' pays tribute to Gotch. Jenkins praises his former rival, claiming Gotch's greatness was his mental game, and his quick thinking on the mat is what made him better than everyone else. Jenkins also claimed that Gotch should have stayed retired, and it would end up being some up-and-comer nobody has heard of that eventually beats him. Meanwhile, Gotch had recently fully committed to another match against Hackenschmidt before truly retiring, and a lot of the papers were starting to speculate on how this was going, covering Gotch's training regiment, pondering how this whole thing was going to play out, because it was truly spectacular and it was front-page news. On February 22, 1911, in Denver, Colorado, Hackenschmidt beat Charles Cutler in two straight falls. Cutler would go on to be a big success, a champion, and a key figure in wrestling's upswing on the doorsteps of the First World War. For me, it's always fun to find these kind of early matches of future stars, future champions. You know, it's the same thing we see on YouTube nonstop, where you'll find people finding, you know, the, the Young Bucks putting over the Hardys in a meaningless match. So it's always fun to see the stars of today with their humble beginnings in the days of yore. I find it interesting anyway. I hope you do too. But back to Tom Jenkins. The Cincinnati Inquirer on February 27th, 1911, quote, Word from West Point explains that Tom Jenkins has been doing hard, persistent, and effective work, and is apt to pop into the ring before the season closes. Tom is looked upon as an old, but compared with Farmer Burns, Jenkins is still a mere child. Tom Jenkins will try to, quote, Come back, here, claimed the Omaha Daily News on March 17, 1911. Quote, Tom Jenkins, former wrestling champion of this country, will try to come back at the auditorium Tuesday night, March 28th. He will meet Jess Westergaard of Des Moines in a finish match. On the same day, the Des Moines Register claimed that Jenkins would face Jess Reamer instead, which he would not. The Washington Post did a feature in Tom Jenkins that was published on March 19, 2011, heaping praise on Tom Jenkins' ability as a coach at West Point, how it took him a little time to adjust to the precision of military life as a non-military man, and how hard the students trained to get ready for their lives as officers. And it included a lot of cool photos of him running classes, teaching these kids how to box, how to wrestle, how to build character and be better, sturdier human beings. The Omaha Daily News on March 19th included the article, Ancient and Modern Wrestlers to Meet. Jenkins and Westergaard will illustrate ability, youth, and older science. Quote, 
If the Omaha fans want to spend their money to see the once famous Matt artist, the bout probably will be worth price of the seat. But Nick's on the betting propositions. Everyone seemed excited by the idea of this match. Omaha was becoming a hotspot for wrestling, but unfortunately, Jenkins had to cancel his appearance. On March 24, 1911, the Omaha Evening World Herald reported that Jenkins couldn't make it to Omaha before the end of March, so auditorium manager Gillen called off the match entirely since the wrestling season was coming to a close. But what would Jenkins have time for? Well, in the Helena, Montana Independent Record on the same day, it was reported that Jenkins was on a 10-day furlough and will be facing Frank Gotch in Denver that very night. I don't know if there was simply no real lead-up to this one, or if I just couldn't find anything in the sources I have, but holy shit, what a match to slide under the radar, especially for me being here in Denver, Colorado. Sadly, it wasn't a very competitive event. On the 25th, the Salt Lake Tribune reported, Gotch easily throws Tom Jenkins twice. Quote, Without ever permitting his opponent to assume the offensive for a moment, Frank Gotch, holder of the world's wrestling championship, defeated Tom Jenkins, former champion, in two straight falls at the auditorium here tonight. Both falls were gained with a half Nelson and crotch hold. The first in 17 minutes, 30 seconds, and the second in 13 minutes, 37 seconds. The match was fast and savage from the start. The Spokane Chronicle claimed, quote, Throughout the match, Jenkins never had a look in, being continually kept on the defensive. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious about this one. It, it's like one of those like big match at a house show type of things where it's just so strange to see a match that had happened so many times before and was always such a big money event is now being kind of thrown together as a last minute thing in a city like Denver, which was not exactly a big market at the time. Around this time, the trials of the Maybury gang was taking place. This was a truly enormous sports-fixing ring led by J.C. Maybray that fixed everything from horse races to boxing to wrestling to swindle gamblers all over the country. Wrestlers Jack Karkeek and J.C. Marsh, who would later become a hated rival of the Goldust Trio as a promoter, served time in prison for their parts in it. Because keep in mind, even though we talk about how so much of wrestling was fixed, so many matches were hippodromes, so much of it was schemes to defraud the gamblers, stating that you suspect that is a whole lot different than proving it. This group expanded beyond wrestling to do the same with boxing and horse racing and anything else you could really affect easily. And all for the sake of gambling. They had a paper trail. They were well organized. It was very much an organized crime type of thing before the mafia became a big presence in sports in the United States. So yes, they were, it's one of those things where a little bit of corruption is expected, but they made it so egregious that the law had to step in and people went to jail. The June 11, 1911 Inter-Ocean published a nearly full-page piece by Tom Jenkins, How to Keep Your Health in Summer. 
It was entirely about working a few stretches and poses for posture and tone, sort of like an accidental yoga practice. He pointed out that alcohol and tobacco are bad news for a healthy body, shocking news there, that, quote, when you exercise, select the form of exercise that affords you the most enjoyment. If you don't like it, it becomes work. If you are going to work, take a pick and shovel. When you find an exercise that is a pleasure to you, stick to it. And in the article, while reading it, I did giggle at him referring to non-blue-collar jobs as brain workers. It included many photos of him doing poses and stretches, and he looked to be in great shape, though definitely was a man in his 40s. And as a man in his 40s who was trying to stay in good shape, I really appreciate his accomplishments. This was the first part of a series he did, the second, again, focused on stretching and poses that look a lot like yoga, asked DDP, I wonder what his opinion is of this. The third was all about swimming, and the fourth about diet and dental hygiene. The Meriden, Connecticut Record Journal on June 15, 1911, claimed that Kyushi Tani, the bantamweight jiu-jitsu champion, quote, is booked for a jiu-jitsu match with Tom Jenkins, the noted heavyweight who stood over 30 minutes with Hackett Schmidt not long ago. The match will be pulled off at the National Sporting Club in Chicago sometime in September, and articles will be signed in a few days. I won't be holding my breath on this one actually happening. And by August, the whole sporting world was abuzz about the Gotch-Hackenschmidt rematch promoted by Jack Curley, set for Labor Day in Chicago. The seating capacity at the ballpark was 35,000, and they expected to fill every chair. Again, Gotch had become a superstar in the world of sports, not just in wrestling, but sports as a whole, and had elevated wrestling as a whole with him. Wrestling was hot, and this was supposed to be the pinnacle of what the sport could produce and present to the public. Hackenschmidt was due back in the country by August 15th, and was looking to have Dr. Roller and Tom Jenkins for training partners. Weird aside, a very strange thing I notice while reading sports pages from these days is the inclusion of things like checkers, bowling, and dog shows in the sports pages. But I digress. Advanced tickets went on sale at Tom Murray's store in Chicago on August 1st. It was such a wild scene that four policemen were on hand to keep the public in order. From the Hushington Gazette the following day, quote, the victor will be hailed as the greatest wrestler of all time, while the loser will go and hide out. Whichever of the pair loses, it means retirement forever. Both are aware of this fact and are willing to abide the consequences. That knowledge is shared by the general public. Hence the unheard of interest. Hackenschmidt set up camp in Chicago, training with Johan Koch, Gus Schoenlein, Dr. Roller, and Tom Jenkins. And there was... Conflicting reports as to how the camp was going. From the Washington, D.C. Evening Star on August 22nd, quote, If work is going to win the Labor Day battle, Hack has it won already. With his strength and endurance, he looks to be able to do the things to the gotch cleverness he asserts he can. There is no doubt that it will be the greatest wrestling match the world has ever seen. Meanwhile, other press outlets claimed otherwise like the Indianapolis News on August 24th. Appears suspicious. Hack has done little training, 
and fans are wondering. The fact that Hackenschmidt has done little training since arriving in Chicago has created no little comment among the wrestling fans of Chicago. Wrestling fans are questioning each other as to the condition of the Russian and why he is not training. Every kind of solution to the mystery is given by these fans, yet it is unsolvable except by those in Hack's camp. Today was passed in the same idleness of the last four days. Hack took a long walk in the early morning and took a dip in Lake Michigan. What were regarded as the first official odds were posted today by a local bookmaker, who offered 4-5 to five with Gotch the favorite and Hack the outsider at 6-5. to five. Gotch, meanwhile, was claiming to be, quote, training in secret with Rogers, Burns, and Westergaard. And there were also articles about how he stayed fit by, by running his vast farmlands and how physical labor kept him strong, even though he hadn't been training and wrestling for a little while. So we do have the table set of the secretive camp of Gotch and Hackenschmidt, who is not the man he once was, and he's seeking a rematch against a man who already beat him. And somebody's going to retire, if not both of them are going to retire. And there are 35,000 tickets to sell, and they were selling at a fast pace. There was massive excitement. There was controversy. There was intrigue. There was every possible form of drama leading into this. And where would it go? Well, we're going to talk about that next time because we're short on time. I've got other things to do. You've got other things to do. We can't talk all day. That would just be madness. My voice would give out. So we will jump into the biggest match in history for decades to come after that. How would it turn out? What would the consequences, the ramifications be? Well, We'll talk about that too, as well as what came next for Tom Jenkins in the shadow of that big match as he was winding down his career. But for now, please like on Facebook, follow on Twitter and Instagram. I try to post as many of these headlines and photos that I can find. Also weird, goofy, unrelated wrestling articles that I, uh, I come across and feel the need to uh, share with you people. But for now, I'm Nick Gossert. This is Pro Wrestling History Nerds, and I'll talk to you in two weeks. Hey.